Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Jason Dempster. Jason is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and gym owner in Southern Indiana, SEMA, that's Southern Indiana Martial Arts. He's also an engineer, and I really respect, he doesn't really label himself as a, a libertarian or an anarchist or anything politically in particular, but he's a sharp guy and his brain works a little bit different than mine does. So I appreciate his insight on political conversations. So for episode 592, we interviewed Professor Andrew Koppelman. Professor Koppelman recently released his book, Burning Down the House, How Libertarian Philosophy Was Corrupted by Delusion and Greed. And I invited Jason Dempster in to help me interview Professor Koppelman. So that was a challenging episode. Once again, that's 592. In today's episode, episode 593, Jason and I do just a little bit of a recap of episode 592. So I appreciate everyone tuning in. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social social worker, and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is all also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined once again by Jason Dempster. We're doing a little bit of a recap episode of our uh, last uh, the episode that was released uh, right before this one, which was a interview with Professor Koppelman, who released his book recently, Burning Down the House. It was a critique of not just the Libertarian Party, but in particular, Libertarian thought and the impact it has had on society. Is that an accurate description of your opinion, Jason? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think his book was... Um, maybe a, a criticism on multiple fronts of multiple people that have, um, you know, led or probably influenced like modern libertarians. So I think he 
would say that the influence the libertarian uh, frame of, of thought has had on even the Trump administration in particular, the most recent Republican administration, ha- has been, um, I, I, I believe he would describe it as being substantial and that that has most of the negative parts of um, like the Trump administration would could be attributed to I guess he was complimentary of the Reagan administration because they were more – it sounded like he was saying they were more focused on actually evaluating the cost and the benefit and saying if we cut this program, what will the consequence be, that type of thing. So, I mean, he's a smart guy. He took a very calculated approach to describing everything we discussed. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I, I don't know that I would attribute much of what a lot of administrations do um, necessarily always to libertarian thought. I think – um, there is maybe a strain of that thought on the right, but I don't know that they've got nearly the amount of influence that people think they do. I think most of influence is corporations and various lobbyists from various industries who, um, on both sides, not just the yeah, right. Yeah, the but, Democrats and Republicans are about the same with a lot of that. But I think that steers a lot of it, and then it gets a facade of some philosophy or something on the back end to make the, it sound okay. The Democrats did it, so we're going to say, oh, that's the socialist influence. The Republicans did it, the, then the Democrats are going to say, oh, that's the libertarian influence. Yeah, for sure. And it's usually really, it's just some industry in the more, yeah, it, it's generally, to, to me, I mean, uh, I, I think a lot of what um, gets done has a lot of... Uh, corporatism or more of a almost like a fascist model not not in the nationalistic sense but like in the uh state control of um the means of production type of thing there's a lot of industries where they um are pulling some strings that benefits industries or keeps out certain competition so um yeah i don't don't know if i see as big of a quote-unquote libertarian influence on um, most policies. But, you know, I think in his book he brings up that one county who privatized their fire department. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because I have heard those types of conversations had. If you tell someone I'm a libertarian, uh, which I do tell people that, Jason, you shy away from that. You don't describe yourself as a libertarian? Um, I I, I don't really have a... I mean, uh, that's okay. I'm just no, to, no. I, I mean, I, I'm an I can, American, I, I, so I like to put labels on things. Yeah, I, I can use the term. It, it doesn't really matter to me. I just don't know that. Uh, I think there's a downside to throwing yourself in any group, okay? <laughs> which is you end up getting defined by probably their the lowest common denominator of whatever that group is, and it's every group. But fair, know, okay. So, so when people talk about uh, criticizing the libertarian. Um, thought process. They say, what are we going to do? We won't have roads. We won't have a fire department. Those are two of the most common, most most commonly the roads argument. But fire departments closely there, uh, yeah. um, you know, a criticism of how do you expect we're going to have a police force or how do you, you know, if, you, if we had Michael Malice on here, he would say we'd privatize everything. But when I've heard people talk about it, which I forget who, but I have heard anarcho-libertarians entertain these types of conversations and they say we'd have a privatized fire department that would not have just sat there and watched this old man's house burn down i think um you know at least some that are that far you know that are more anarcho something 
um, capitalists, I guess, they would make an argument that if you were to carry insurance on your house, that one of the requirements could be that your house, uh, you you are subscribed to some fire protection. Mm. Another argument is the insurance company may not make that requirement. They may say your house has to have uh, water on site and a sprinkler system, or they may say we're going to charge you four times the amount for your insurance if you don't have these three things. But at the same time, you would not be required in an anarcho society. You would not be required to have any of that insurance. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's a lot of things that people don't get insurance for. People don't get insurance for, you know, life protection sometimes. And and they and, die, yeah. and then the state has to cover the cost of their funeral. Or Yeah, or, you know, their family or whoever's left, you know, has to cover that. And I mean, there, there's a lot of areas where things or coverage, or things aren't, money's not allocated for it, but there, there are me- market mechanisms is what I think most people with that are arguing for markets to solve problems, they say, well, there are market mechanisms to solve a lot of problems. Interesting. So once again, today's episode is a follow-up to our interview with Professor Koppelman, who recently released the, his book, which was a cr- criticism of libertarianism. And Jason... Um, I kind of got the impression just now that you were defending the the fire department for just watching the the fire de- fire the house burn to the ground. Is, I mean, are you taking that radical of a twist here, Jason Dempster? Really going all all rogue here? <laughs> I don't know. Did I give that impression? <laughs> that's what I got. That's what I took from it. I I had other questions I could have asked about that. I, I, I think because you asked him, you said, "Well, Professor Koppelman, they didn't pay." <laughs> What, what, what should the they have option? done? What should they have done? Negotiated you, at the time. Uh, and I well, think they his, said that they did offer to pay to get up to speed on their $75 monthly fee or whatever it was. And and I, I think, you know, you could also make an argument that it would be in the fire department's best interest to, to go ahead and put out the fire because they've already deployed the resources. So right at that point, it's a sunk cost. Not completely sunk cost, but they are already there. But if we're thirty five hundred advocate, then then everybody else would be like, "Oh, so we don't have to pay." But but they're in the best negotiation spot as possible. And I did bring up, I think, after the interview with him, that you know, uh, there's a professor out of uh, I think it's Duke University, Mike Munger, who has this term called "you voluntary EU," meaning like the Greek, like truly, he's using the Greek prefix, but. Um, like it means truly voluntary. If you were trying to make an a, agreement in that time, the fire department at that point has maximum uh, leverage to charge whatever they want, and that's the risk that somebody's 50, taking by fifty thousand dollars. We got to save to. your house, and yeah. and and somebody may be willing to do that. And then the question is, is that better than them not showing up at all? Mm. So you know, the, all of these questions can be avoided if you know they you know we're paying their bill and you could also make an argument. What if they don't pay their tax bill? If they don't pay their tax bill, oh, somebody may come in and oh, so confiscate the house. You're so, being critical of the status. Now you're switching to the other well, side. I'm just you're saying, saying that okay, on well, both fronts, if they don't pay their bill, they lose their house. Okay. So you're saying so the state it, it, is not very sympathetic either. It's not just the demonization of the private uh, fire company. You, you have to look at the company. other alternative as well. So I think, um, I think I don't, I don't think it's just because there's something bad that happens in a specific system doesn't mean that the alternative of it, ultimately in this situation, if you pay your bills, 
you, you don't end up in these situations. But um, either way, if he had not paid his bills to the tax man, there's a big chance that there's a lien on his house or mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there's penalties or worst case scenario, um, you know, the house is taken from him. So we're not necessarily, necessarily sure that the other alternative is better for this guy. Now, as for the community as a whole, having one surplus house versus not having a surplus house, obviously the scenario where you save the house is better no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now, through the interview we had with Professor Koppelman, there were a couple moments where I was thinking like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't want to try to argue. This guy's sharp as shit. He knows his shit. He'll have a rebuttal. Um, but, but, but like he said, he thinks the Biden administration is doing a good job. What am I going to say to that? Also, he said, yes, kids and adults should be mandated to be vaccinated for the Corona. Uh, um, yeah, I, I didn't want to really get into that because it's not really a central thesis of his book, I don't think. And, and you know, I, I don't, um, it's such a controversial issue that, and it's hard to know what the right answer is to something in uh, when you don't have all of the data yet. So you, a lot of times you're making decisions about something before you have the, all the required information to make the best decision, which is what happened with COVID. Um, but there has been proof that like children, for example, are at virtually no risk. Yeah, I think the best place to start is, uh, you know, what's the marginal benefit of a vaccine had you already had COVID? Um, you know, there's... Oh, okay. For so, example, Rand Paul had COVID. Now he refuses to be vaccinated for it because he already had it, natural immunity. Well, and, and, and so, like, you know, I think that is a known quantity that, you know, having been exposed to a virus is like getting... It's worse than... It's better and worse than getting a, a vaccine because you're exposed to the full virus you're exposed to a live version of it you're going to have a greater immune response to the actual virus which is what you're trying to stimulate in that situation but he professor koppelman would probably say someone like Rand paul who actually already had covid should still be required to be vaccinated and i know that's not the theme of his book uh, yeah, i don't know i'm I don't, going off in a random he direction seems like a smart guy so I, I hopefully you know i don't think he would say that but, but he was saying that kids should be mandated and, and, and I, I think sure, that's a I different sure, argument. I made sure to ask him. So in, in that argument, you would also have to ask, okay, again, you're in this situation of opacity. You don't know all of the things yet. Maybe maybe we start, we're starting to know more now. But, you know, again, you're in a situation where you don't have necessarily all the information. Um, there, There is a... Uh, some evidence now that, and, and I think a lot of countries are acting on this, past a certain age, the the benefits of, of getting some of these aren't quite as high as they promised, and the downsides may be a little higher. Past a certain age, so like elderly people? Well, so, no, like, if you're 40 or younger, okay. I think what they're saying right now is 39 and younger, gotcha. it looks like, the risk of heart complications due to the, the vaccine may be higher than the risk of complications, that same set of complications in those who were exposed to the virus. But at a certain point, those risks are still minor. 
but they're you know but then you have the risk of somebody who's 75 years old and giving them some immunity maybe the benefits outweigh the cost but the, the, the problem with this type of thing is ultimately who has the most skin in the game to get this decision right it's the individual hmm. so you you know I, I, I don't think anybody who values freedom or truly values freedom is going to try to mandate what that decision is because every individual somebody who's got a view of liking Hayek I think would understand his uh, his view that there's a knowledge problem in society so uh, centrally planned decisions don't always take into account all of the information that somebody lower down has and the same goes for medical decisions but professor Koppelman just said that no I know he yeah. did yeah no I know so it, it's kind of interesting because he is yeah. he is a, a fan of Hayek so it, it's just kind of interesting but that I think it's a an example of a knowledge problem um, there are certain people that have had negative reactions to specific types of you know vaccines in the past and maybe they're at a higher risk for complications with this new thing that we don't know as much about. A blanket mandate doesn't necessarily take into account those type of things. Um, and I think the people that want to mandate something like that would say, well, there are going to be some individuals that have some risk, but on a, on this, as a whole, the society on whole would be, benefit, even though they may have a negative downside. They're taking the, one for the team. Yes. And that's a very that leads that can lead to a lot of other dangerous dangerous decisions that can be made that are similar to say, well, it's for the greater good. Us not taking care of this person that maybe that somebody's health care cost or two million dollars a year, and somebody says, well, that person doesn't generate two million dollars worth of good to our economy per year. Mm -hmm. These utilitarian arguments can go to some dark places quick. And I, I think that I don't think any, any of anybody who's mandating anything would, you know, obviously make that, um, make that type of uh, argument that that was also a place that they, that we should make those type of decisions. But um, you can, if you have some weird utility function that's maximizing freedom or maximizing, wellness or whatever it is you can say hey the money that's being spent here is better spent somewhere else there's an opportunity cost to how things are spent so um i don't know yeah <laughs> i'm no, just kind of rambling now no, that's but. all right it, it, i think if my wife yanni would hear someone make the argument well it's kind of for the greater good you you maybe it's not best for you individually but it's better for the greater good her um spidey senses would go up and she does not like that type of, of talk for yeah. obvious reasons. So I think it does fall down. I mean, that was almost a challenging interview in a way, right? Because yeah. it's not like we're interviewing, if you and I are sitting here interviewing um, And I think he Clint made the argument that Russell. rights start with through the law or the rights are a function of legal yeah, it's yeah, a and legal it's function, cool. and, I, and I, I, I'm not qualified to make legal arguments. He is. He's but a, he is. He's a law professor. But so those are. I want to get in. Who should I get him to debate? He said he would do a debate. You know, Clint I, Russell. I, I, I'm not familiar with that okay. person, but uh, I, you know, 
he would have a good conversation with somebody like Robert Murphy, who is oh, on the okay. very, uh, he is uh, an anarcho-capitalist, I think is probably what he calls himself, and is very thoughtful as well. And, and I think he's very familiar with all of the arguments he's making. I don't know that it would be very productive. Yeah, but, it, would, um, it may be turned into more just an argument. Can you put this a little closer? To your oh, yeah. Oh, that's I'm sorry. Right. I don't yeah, know that's if you okay. can hear me well. That's okay. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know how productive either because those are two. Now, when you have a nuanced debate within the Libertarian Party, and it's like one person thinks that running as a, a Republican as a Libertarian is better, and one person thinks running as a Libertarian is better, and they're debating about that, I can see where that, in a way, can be kind of productive but if you have one guy who supports aoc ihan omar cory bush people tend is, to talk past each other professor koppelman right he's yeah. admittedly probably a fan of the squad and joe biden yeah and i, th- I think what happens um there you, you, anybody that's listening and I, maybe i'll send you the link there's a guy named arnold Kling who is um um wrote he wrote something i don't know 10 years ago or I don't know how long ago, but he wrote um, kind of an essay about um, <clears throat> comparing how libertarians think about issues versus conservatives versus um, you know progressives, and uh, his and and I'm I'm giving a very rudimentary summary, but his idea is that libertarians typically, um, when they're talking about an issue, the way they frame their argument is does this give more or less freedom, more or less liberty? You know, that that's, so when they start talking about an issue, they're not concerned about anything other than, I'm not saying they're not concerned, but that's the, the defining feature of how they make their arguments, that what, what they're going to decide about an issue is really framed around the true freedom. Pr- true principled libertarian would say, even if COVID was so bad that maybe we should have actually all stayed inside our houses a true principled libertarian would say, fuck that. We can't require people to stay in their houses, right? A true principled libertarian would say they should be able to make their own decisions regardless of what the outcomes would be. And then, and then he makes a, this, a similar um, statement about conservatives or, or those who are traditionally on the right. Um, he, he would say that they are... They look at issues of does this create a more civilized society or does this create uh, lead to more bar- barbarianism uh, mm. or hedonism? Is this um, leading to a more organized um, society, a, a uh, you know more moral, more you know st- structured? I don't know. There's like a like they are moving towards order and. Um, you know, law and justice and people doing the right things is, and so when they see issues that may be the um, axis that they're arguing about, you know, somewhere between, hey, this is leading to hedonism versus this is leading to a more, you know, moral place. And then progressives, I think, typically, you know, when they're framing an argument, and I, I, I think this is pretty true. That's why I bring it up. Um, but they, their argument generally is that is this going to help the oppressed, or is this helping the oppressors? Mm. And so there, there, there's an easy way when you're talking to somebody who has a different framing of their of what they think is valuable. Their their values are are a different axis. It's easy to talk past 
each other. That makes sense. I'm going to say this gives us everybody more freedom, and so it's good, and they're going to tell me it's going to help oppressors, so it's bad. <clears throat> and I think that's the type of conversation you end up with when you, when you discuss something with somebody like that. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing, but I think it could still have some value to get no, one I, person. No, I think it is. If, it, if I got Bob Murphy, Murphy, that'd be awesome. And he, the reason I'll, I think he's a, a good person is to, to take on these type of arguments is he is very good at um, making sure he's understanding and listening to somebody else's argument. Sure. And so he, he will take up that framework to, to discuss those issues with him, and then he'll try to <coughs> shift gears um, for, for his, uh, you know, for his, uh, you know, framework as well. And I'd say Professor Koppelman is certainly capable of that too. He's yeah, super I, sharp I, Yeah, for sure. If you're a college professor and your job is to, in, in Koppelman's case, you know, to have read Hayek, to have read, I mean, I mentioned Hoppe. And to deal and, with a bunch of, you know, twenty something people's talking crap. You know, sure, exactly. And, and, and like I said, I mentioned Hoppe, or it really seemed like we could have thrown anything at him, and he kind of, you know, had a at least some some talking points ready. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think you should maybe look around and see who would be available to because you know it, it's interesting. Sometimes more interesting hearing a little bit of conflict where there is some back and forth. Um. Jason, I appreciate you coming on the show today. You've mentioned to me recently um, that you've enjoyed a couple of the episodes. When it comes to the libertarian topic or discussion, um, have there been any in particular that you've enjoyed more than others that you've listened to on the the, the podcast recently, or yeah. or ever even? I, I don't. I'm I'm driving. I'm drawing a blank about it. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is there one in in particular you're thinking of? Not one in particular. Yeah, okay. I, I try to mess with doing different episodes, right? that are libertarian themes. Of course, I think the, the last one I mentioned that I really liked uh, is you had Alvin Sims on, but that was Oh, okay. That was the basketball one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, I 13-year-old me was excited. Me too. How old are you? I'm 40. Okay, I'm 39. So I was right there with you, a big Alvin Sims fan. I had Toad on. I had Patree Friedman. I had... Jake Shields, he's not quite a libertarian, but I mean, uh, anti-woke on a lot of things. Yeah, I think he is, um, I think something in the last couple years has uh, made him a lot more outspoken. Mm -hmm. Brianna Coyle is a former regime libertarian who now is in the school of, of thought that kind of throws mud almost at the current, she would say, that the current libertarian party is racist and bigoted um yeah there's not as many li oh a sarcist he was pretty principled good guest i had spike cohen back august 1st haven't had as many libertarian guests as of late i'm looking back over it uh buck angel was a good one i think our buddy rob uh sent buck angel the idea for buck angel to me uh, spike seems to be real thoughtful too i, I, I do like uh, hearing him talk i think he he usually is good about picking a lane that is a good, easy lane to, to make arguments in and staying inside that lane and not getting into, you know, issues that aren't or that are either more controversial or I don't know. He does a good job of tiptoeing around controversial <laughs> issues. Yeah, I think so. And um, I mean, 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of arguments that d- different people make. I'm not familiar with, uh, you know, a lot of the people in the podcasting world <clears throat> that are, you know, on, but um, I try to, I tend to try to follow like kind of the econ side of things a little bit more typically than, than uh, the political philosophy thing. But um, uh, it's, uh, it's a, ever-expanding world it seems like in, it, in the last couple of years at least it, it is interesting of course um dave smith has been on rogan recently did you happen to catch any of that uh yeah i did um yeah he's uh he's definitely out there i mean he, i guess at this point you would probably have to make an argument that he's the top guy in the world of libertarians yeah i, I mean as far as um somebody who is in the media sure I mean, who else would even be in that conversation? I guess if you consider Rand Paul, he's not in the media, but I mean, as far as public figures who are actual libertarians, I think Dave Smith about takes it. And what a crazy world we live in now where Joe Rogan is the top media figure in the world. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when that happened, but I mean, eight years ago, he was just another podcast. Yep. So at some point he did something to take over that world it seems like yeah joe rogan recently interviewed tulsi gabbard and i listened to that entire episode and very fascinating episode a lot of what tulsi gabbard has to say is is uh good stuff and i you know i'm uh i enjoyed listening to the episode but while interviewing a former congresswoman joe rogan i think on two separate occasions said you know, Dave Smith said this, or, and Rogan a lot of times, it's such an interesting thing to watch him and to see, like, because he endorsed Bernie Sanders, but then he has Michael Malice on plenty, he has Dave Smith on, and so it's like these thoughts are influencing him, and he's even mentioning them on these huge platforms, which I think is, is great. Now, would Professor Koppelman think that's great? Probably not. But I think it's pretty interesting to see the influence that Dave Smith in particular has had on Rogan. It's definitely an ex- expansion of, at least compared to tw- the last 20 years, on what would be typically seen on maybe cable news or you know whatever these political type of shows would be. You don't really get a wide breadth of differing opinions. It's mostly Republican versus Democrat. And when it comes to like foreign policy, for example, they're basically the same. And a lot of different things, really. They're basically the same corporatist, uh, corporate interests, you know. Um, so it's great to see guys like Brian Stelter losing, <laughs> lost his gig with CNN, but Joe Rogan it continues to kill it and, and gives a an opportunity for, to other people for coming up. Jason, I really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, I know that's great. We did the interview with Professor Koppelman and then a little bit of a recap episode. Um, before we wrap things up, do you have any anything you'd like to... Anything you'd like to mention? Any any shout-outs? Um, I can't think of anything. What about your gym? Oh, yeah. You can come out, hang out at my gym. Southern classes, Indiana Martial Arts? Almost every day. Southern yeah. Indiana Martial Arts? New what, Albany, Indiana. What type of classes? Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mainly. Okay. Some kickboxing, but mainly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. And how long have you guys been in existence? Uh, <clears throat> in our current form, since 2017. Okay. Um, before that, we, we were teaching out of like a fitness gym. That's right. I think in our last, uh, one of our episodes, we talked about that. So SEMA, Southern Indiana Martial Arts. What's the address or website? Um, Southern Indiana Martial Arts.com. And uh, the uh, address is 2107 Cordon Pike. 
Okay. Albany, Indiana. All right. Good stuff. Well, once again, Jason, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, wanna, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, we'll have another episode out soon.